With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casilla. With me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy NFL Draft Week. Happy Men's Lacrosse is Not Dead Week, I guess. Um, what else we got? Happy, Happy end the of... The football program does exist. The football program found their found their camcorder week. Uh, <laughs> hit, the, hit the tweet button a couple of times. Yeah, did, did the content flow in? Yeah, some 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 stuff. We had some stuff. It'll be a good week, I think, for for Syracuse, especially those who uh, anticipate NFL draft helping the program overall. Which I think it, you know, there's no reason why it shouldn't. So yeah, yeah. So Afiti uh, Melafanu was listed on uh, Pro Football Focus's like five sleepers to get like a surprise first round uh, selection. I saw that. Um, I'd be pretty surprised, but I mean, I think it depends on what the cornerback, uh, like the run on corners goes, and it could be pretty aggressive because you have Patrick Sertan, J.C. Horn, and um, Caleb Farley, who all could be pretty high draft picks. So, like, say they all go in the top fifteen, maybe there's just a team that's desperate for a cornerback in some capacity, and you know, he sneaks in there if some team just falls in love with him. So, it's certainly not out of the question. I'd, I'd be surprised. Um, I'd be still even more surprised if he went first round instead of Sisto. I think both are probably more, you know, they're pretty, pretty strong second round uh, potential for both of them. But um, the fact that it's even like a, a consideration is pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Actually. I'm uh, looking forward to it. And we'll get into some of the uh, NFL draft talk in a bit. Um, did want to discuss the most pressing matter um, here at uh, the blogs. Uh, well, I'd say at the podcast headquarters, um, which is, what happens if there's a Knicks-Nets second-round uh, matchup, and and how insufferable will it be to watch <laughs> any sports media for two weeks straight? Oh God! Um, personally, like I mean, as a Nets fan, I think we've discussed the Knicks-Nets like relationship a, a fair amount. Um, I wouldn't love it just because the Knicks have played the Nets really tough this year, um, and they play really good defense. They're just really gritty. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't super worry about them beating the Nets in a seven-game series, but. I think it'd be a much more competitive series than some of the other options. Now, we haven't seen the Nets play the Knicks, I don't think, with the I mean, we haven't seen the Nets play with all three stars very often at all. But I think in a couple of these Nets games, it's been like one guy, it's been either Harden or like just Kyrie. So um if like, you know, at least two of the Nets stars are going at full bore, or hopefully if all three are back, obviously Harden's the big question right now. Um, you know, I I'm not gonna be that, that concerned about anyone, to be honest, but it's uh no, I mean the fact that it's even like the fact that I'd even be like concerned one bit about uh, a Knicks series says a lot about what the Knicks have done this year. So good for them. Yeah, I mean obviously the Knicks have just been a fun team to watch. Um, I, I feel like of course the, I mean you 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 would hear it far more than I would um, just being in New York, um, but but I'm sure you'd have you know loud boisterous Knicks fans, you'd have loud boisterous Knicks supporters in the media. Then there would also be just like the national conversation around like the Knicks are back. And despite the fact that the Nets are at this point, like the odds on title favorite um, in, in the NBA, 
I, I think uh, for, for those who don't want to hear anything more about either uh, New York basketball team, um, it, it would be a very dark week or two uh, for your timeline. <laughs> as, as you would hear Stephen A. Smith lead off every morning, um, you'd have Mike Francesa uh, involved in, in, in numerous national um, call-ins, I'm sure, uh, along with a host of other uh, notable and not so notable uh, Knicks fans telling you why they still quote-unquote own the city. Um, despite what the Nets are probably going to do this year. I mean, you know, as a Nets fan, like, I think most Nets fans are, and I've talked about this before, like, pretty realistic about where things stand. Like, we know we're, we're clearly not the most popular team, um, even compared to, like, obviously the, the Yankees have a lot more fans than the Mets, but in the city, when the Mets are good, it's pretty even. Yeah. Um, that is not the, that's not the case ever with the Nets and Nets and, and nor should it be like the Nets have been around forever. They're an iconic franchise, even if they're terrible most of the time, the Nets are not an iconic franchise, even if they've been pretty good a fair amount of the time. Um, and they're just out to the city seven years ago. So it's, uh, I think it's unrealistic to assume that they would like catch up all of a sudden. Um, I think if that ever happens, it's going to be a long, long, long process of, of you know having sustained success which is tricky in the nba if you're not like the lakers or the celtics um so i i don't know the nets fans that i follow and and know and and talk to like aren't super concerned about like catching the knicks it's just not like i mean i'd much rather win an nba title like it's just not that big of a concern <laughs> for me that like the nets have more fans we all get it we know we know that when fans are in attendance at uh you know games in normal times like barclays is pretty close to 50 50 for those games it's just is what it is like it's it's just the situation um i will say hey i'm not like mad about that it's being good i i'm kind of actually i wouldn't say excited but i do think there's something cool about the knicks like kind of emerging i think it's 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 always a fun storyline when they're decent um and also i'm a little bummed that it's happening this year because like <laughs> This is like the you know I think realistically if oh, this was I a normal be on you. Well, if this no, if this is a real year, well, not not even that. Like, yes, it, it'd be nice, but um, it'd be nice for the Nets to have like some hey, like if this is a regular season, I think Nets Nets games would be sold out almost every game. I think like the Nets fan base people would be like, oh, it's actually a thing, and that'd be cool because like it doesn't get any respect, even though, um, I mean, just like on the SB Nation level, I think like Nets Daily is like one of the bigger NBA sites they have. Like there are actual Nets fans out there; they exist. Um. But also, um, I think it'd be it, it kind of sucks for the Knicks fans that like the city would be pretty nuts right now. I think if the Knicks like were if people were out and about and taking the subway and commuting, like it'd be it'd probably feel a lot like you know lead up to the twenty fifteen World Series or um, you know one of these other. I mean, the the city has had a pretty bad run of of sports, but yeah, no, I, I think all that's reasonable, and yeah, like I, I think that you know Mets fans can can definitely relate. I think to some extent, like Islanders fans can relate to this. The Jets are just never good enough <laughs> for very long. And the Giants admittedly, and I've said this before, are like a low key, like terrible franchise <laughs> that, that, that has had like some really great highs um, and, and otherwise like has not necessarily like run themselves very well. Uh, that's all. It's that's funny, a podcast like, on its own. <laughs> the Giants, like just to make, not to extend it too much. The Giants definitely just have like the, the facade of like, being good but also like they're just getting propped up by these two runs and had they not won both of those worlds are super bowls i think it would be pretty ugly and instead like no one talks about like ownership or anything to the same level that not that they should not that it's like a will pond or a dolan level but, but like similar ish i mean it's not that like it's 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 they should at least be getting like a woody johnson level of heat and they're, they're yeah not. They, they, they they get they get they get rooney level support um 
for, for, from the like fan base and media, just or whatever. <laughs> yeah, 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 like they get Rooney level support from fan from the fan base and media, despite like having like Jerry Jones but with titles returns. Or really, not yeah. even Jerry Jones with titles. Realistically, like Jerry Jones still won more titles. It's just that none of them are very recent. Yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating. Um, but I, I honestly think it comes down to the, they don't get like they don't do the the ridiculous stuff that that Dolan does. They don't. They don't um, infuriate their fans uh, the way the Wilpons do. They, they don't away. have like the political stuff that Johnson does. So they're way smarter about it. They don't have the, the legitimate fake owner that the Islanders did for a minute, um, which is a great story that does goes way undertold. But there's a thirty for thirty on it. Um, so yeah, I mean, near near fans have just been through the absolute ringer with ownership. <laughs> it's incredible how many just completely. And then you, I mean, that's not even to bring up like late year George Steinbrenner, <laughs> which was just a, a circus. So um how is it that yeah. the largest cities in this country have like the dumbest and like most reoccurring like you think Philly, Chicago, New York, and LA um regularly like have like nonsensical ownership situations and like they're either overreported on or underreported on. There's, I, I just don't think the coverage of most owners. I mean, at least in New York, I think they are actually pretty well reported. Like the Wilpons, we knew every stupid thing that was happening with them for a while, and right. I still think that it was probably not getting like the total coverage because <laughs> they had, you know, they have their people in the media um, that that don't totally. And, and also, there's just you know, that's just kind of a, an issue in media now. Like there's there's always the risk of losing access, and and you have to deal with that, which I know is a constant thing for the Mets. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, it's it's both entertaining. I, I appreciate uh, Defector for their series on like all the bad owners in sports. It's just there's so many. <laughs> there's so there's so many, and they're all so like in, impressively awful. Oh, I agree. Uh, all right, that I think was enough divergence uh, to start this podcast at least. Um, I know Dan, we do have some Syracuse things to talk about. Why don't we jump into the NFL draft stuff? I know the guys on the live cast uh, talked about it over the weekend a bit, but and we kind of started talking about it. Do you have any like ideal fits for any of these guys, or at least like if not a team, then maybe um, like a type of situation um, that would be ideal fits for for any of the three Syracuse defensive backs who are going to get picked on uh, between Thursday and Saturday? Uh, it's tough. I mean, it's tough because there's not like you know you, you get the first round mocks where like you kind of get a sense of who may end up where, and that kind of falls apart after the first round because there's so many moving parts. Um, I think Cisco would be really great in a situation that had a uh, good cornerback play already. I think he would really, I mean, you know, that's easy to say, but I think he would really thrive uh, in a situation where he's able to go do what he do, does best. And that's ball Hawk and uh, just attack the ball and make plays. So, you know, if there's a, if there's a team that takes him that like is pretty bad at corner, um, I think he gets asked to do a lot and, and we've seen him get exposed at times uh, when he's asked to be in coverage, like, like serious coverage into a great receiver or, or coming up to, uh, to take away something at the line. Um, I want to see him hopefully in a situation where he can hang back, play deep zone and just like get after the ball. Um, and, and I think, you know, the teams that, that value that uh, the teams that are, they're high takeaway, high div- uh, divergence defenses um, will hopefully be the ones that have him uh, targeted. I expect him again to be like a second rounder. I think it's getting safe. Safety's going in the first round is, is, is kind of a crapshoot. Um, but I do think, you know, if there is one or two, like if we have a small run on them, I think it's, he's probably one of the first after uh, Morig from TCU. So um, who's also a total ball Hawk type player. And that those are the times that do go because they can flip, flip games so much. 
Um, but I do appreciate it. I, I think I've seen a lot more people impressed with like the whole package with Sisto more than just the interceptions. I think people are, are, are kind of probing and obviously he's not like a perfect player, but um, I've seen more respect given to his like ability to come up and play the run a little bit. Obviously he whiffs on some tackles, but he also makes some huge tackles. Um, it does seem like people have really done like a deep dive on him. Yeah, it's the risk reward stuff. And like you and I mm. were saying throughout his career was the, uh, the the fact that he improved game over game and he rarely made the same mistake twice. Like that's noticeable if you're looking at tape like linearly and, and can see that improvement, can see how he, you know, really transformed his body over the course of the time. I mean, when he came in, he wasn't a small guy, but he definitely wasn't like the huge physical He's specimen that he was at the Superhero end. now. Like exactly. And and I think with risk to reward, like obviously there's a limit to it, and you don't want someone just like going totally rogue. But you can forgive. I think a lot of teams will forgive someone, especially on a team like Syracuse, where like you know we had games predicated on like, can we get sister? Can sister get a pick from the field for us here, please? <laughs> um, when he's put in that kind of situation, I think a lot of teams will forgive. Like, all right, well he just jumped around and it did not work out. Right. Um, because in the NFL, he's not going to have that same. He's not going to have like. Obviously, the whole team wasn't on his back. He's not a quarterback, but pretty close. Like, there were games where we were just, like, biding our time for an Andre Sisto play. And then a lot of the time, he came through. Um, and maybe we didn't win the game overall, but, like, he came up with so many huge plays um, in tight games in, in you know, and just, just delivered the offense, like, great situations. So, um, with less pressure on him to be that guy, uh, I think – I, I think you'll, some team will be really, really happy to get him. Um, I hope it's not one that is going to like put him in precarious positions. But you know, second, it's it's tough to know. And also, he he not being a first rounder might end up like benefiting him in that way, in that he won't have the pressure of like, oh, you know, the first round bust thing is like a legit thing. After that, it really doesn't exist. Like, if a guy doesn't have a great year as a rookie as a second rounder, like you can forgive that. But if he goes twenty eighth, even even if it's not like thirty third, there's just that first round. Um, stigma if a guy doesn't perform right away. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think, uh, like, from a system perspective, like, Cisco to me seems like somebody who could play well in, like, a zone um, because, like you were saying, like, if he has great corner play, if the rest of the defense is, like, pretty sound, then, like, A, if he's not a first-round pick, he's not going to get plugged in right away. And B, like, that does take the pressure off him, like, unlike what he had to deal with, I think, in the last two years he was at Syracuse, even in the, you know, two games that he had to play in 2020. Um, Meanwhile, I, I think with Melifonwu and Trill, um, we saw, especially last year, like this team was just far, far better uh, playing man-to-man than they were playing zone. And, and I think, and realistically, like you saw some, I've, I've read enough scouting that like teams are kind of wise to it, especially Melifonwu who played more than Trill did. But I, I think you're going to see teams that are, that are trend a little bit more man-to-man ID that as a reason to pick one of these guys and maybe someone that is a little bit more zone. I mean, obviously different situation, better defense, um, better pieces around them, but you might see teams that play more zone. Um, maybe they opt to go a different route if there's two comparable players um, on the board. No, that's, I think that's certainly valid. I think Melifon who definitely fits into, I just can't see a team that couldn't use him. Like yeah, I think I he's just a real plug and play player. Cornerback is super valuable. And there's, you know, I, I think, the, there's pretty clear tiers in the NFL at this point in terms of player value and, and it's cornerback cor- or quarterback. And then beyond that, I think it's left it's tackle, left, corner. left tackle, elite defensive end corner. Um, and that's pretty definitive. Yeah, top tier wide out. Maybe top tier wide out. I might even slip them into like the third tier, like at the top of the third tier. But if you have a great, great one, obviously it can be a game breaker, but he's, I mean, he's just, he was so consistent for his entire career. Like um, just got better year over year. 
uh, shut down players, even though like the defense as a whole was put in like just really awful positions all all season, and never really he never really bent like he was. You know, obviously, I don't think he's on a Patrick Sertan level, but Patrick Sertan also had like way more help on defense. Granted, he you know turned an incredible season. He allowed like 250 passing yards all year, but um, I think you know second round. I maybe if the Packers took him in the second round, I'd be thrilled. Um, and also, it's just one of those things like. How many teams couldn't use another cornerback in the second day in the draft? There's just like there are so few. Um, yeah, so I, I think I think his situation uh, wherever he goes, I th- I think it's gonna be hard for it to be like a bad fit because he's just so plug and play ready. I think I agree, and like Trill's an interesting one because I think there's a lot of places like he's gonna be he's being seen as a safety by most. Um, evaluators but i think he it seems like he wants to play corner it seems like he could play corner um i know just for folks reference some teams that could use a corner uh, whether it's in the first round or later on uh the bills the broncos uh arizona cardinals uh dallas cowboys uh, definitely could use a corner uh detroit lions carolina panthers uh the new orleans saints the pittsburgh steelers houston texans uh tennessee titans um, and uh, the Washington football team would all be on the short list uh, who could use a corner. You could, I mean, like you said, corner is such an important position that everyone could really use one, uh, always use another one, but those would be at least some of the teams um, that you could see targeting, uh, you know, Melifon Wu, Trailer, both. Yeah, I'm just imagining if he goes to Buffalo, are the, the, the Syracuse Bills crossover internet portion of both fan bases will buy, like, Get those jerseys up, jerseys up immediately. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's going to be an interesting weekend. I'm, I I know I joked online. I'm uh, I'm pre-writing uh, all of them, you know, by Wednesday, just in case something surprising happens during the first round. But in real, in all honesty, I think we see, I think we see two of them go on Friday, and and I think we see Trill go on Saturday, which is fine. I, I think mean, it's I think Trill's... what we've seen. Oh yeah, I, I think I mean. For the for the um, career Trill had, where it was like bid plays, but not you know not the the super flashiness of Cisco all the time. Obviously, he had his moments, or the super consistency of of uh, Melifonwu. Um, I think he's done really really well for himself in this draft process, which is not surprising because he's an athletic freak, as all these guys are. Um, we identify we've identified defensive back talent super super well of all the of all the complaints about the program in the last couple of years. Like that is not one of them. Um, and I think I think his special teams will help. Um, I think teams will see him as a potential like big time gunner on on kickoff, on punt coverage, and even potentially a return guy. Um, and I, I mean, if you can have that guy and have him be a fourth cornerback, like that's a pretty good fourth or fifth round pick. Like um, I think fourth is probably his ceiling. I'd be surprised if he went higher than that. But I I expect him to go first half of Saturday, which is cool. Like that's that's great. Like if you if you're doing three. Uh, if you're a, a team that went one in one in nine or one in ten last year, and uh, you know you're getting three guys going in the draft and all the same position, and uh, can really sell that, uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It's that's there's that's good. Like you can really make something happen with that. So um, cool for all of them. I'm glad SU's been doing way more promotion for them, uh, as you know you would hope we would do more often. But like they're really turning on the turning up the the heat on it, uh, and appropriately so. We need to use this as like something to, to help jumpstart a good off season here. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, we don't have to belabor the draft uh, any longer, but yeah, I, I think that this is hopefully the beginning of, of us being able to really market 
um, you know, NFL players from Syracuse um, to future prospects. We've seen that Cisco has been on the phone. Trill's been on the phone with some of the 2022 guys, even some of the 2021 guys talked about, you know, the impact that those players being on campus and big plays they could make um, their ability to attract talent. So hoping that this becomes a bigger thing. Um, it speaks well of the torches too like oh yeah the dies I, I, this probably wasn't everyone's favorite year honestly and like i'm sure these dies are kind of relieved to be moving on and the fact they would still like take the time out of like you know a pretty important couple of weeks for them to like get on the phone with recruits to retort stuff to like help the program help them essentially like i think that speaks well of like you know it seems like guys are still bought in on babers and and everything's good with within the team which we haven't really gotten a sense otherwise like you know most most people have said all the right things and and that hasn't really been an outward concern um especially considering you know other programs have had two-thirds of the team leave um after better seasons uh but like it's still good to see totally agree um one more thing before halftime i did want to talk quick about uh syracuse men's basketball and their scheduling uh right now it does seem like they are uh gearing up for for quite the non-conference slate if everything stays um as it's currently planned i would think that given the uncertainty about next year i think that we're maybe looking at how do we schedule ourselves into a position where, you know, going slightly above, maybe slightly above 500, but not winning 20 games doesn't become a problem. Um, and that we could still make the field um, even with, you know, a team that might struggle at times. Uh, looks like right now um, home schedule. We don't know anything except for uh, the ACC slate, but that slate at home does include Duke, Florida state, Georgia tech, Louisville, um, Virginia, among others. It seems like we'd add Colgate and Cornell, whoever we face in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, to that um, on the road. We've got Georgetown, Duke, Florida State, again, uh, North Carolina, uh, Virginia Tech, among others in the ACC, and then neutral site against Villanova at MSG, and then Battle for Atlantis, assuming that stays in place, which TBD, really. Um, you're looking at some combination of Arizona State, Auburn, Loyola, Chicago, Michigan State, UConn, VCU, and Baylor um, in the battle for Atlantis. I would I would put UConn in and Penn, and then we'll see from there. Dan, does it seem like a, a an oddly challenging slate, considering like even like two years ago, Bayheim was just kind of like I don't know why we'd I don't know why we'd we'd, we'd you know go out of our way to schedule any like really too much more uh, in terms of difficult opponents, just because of the twenty game ACC schedule. Um, it's definitely notable. Um, it kind of almost looks like more of the schedules the couple of years after we left the Big East, like where we were really trying to like keep the family together a little bit. Um, and that's waned uh, in, in recent years. And, I, and you could maybe surmise that it's waned because the uh, team's uh, regular season hopes have also not hopes, but like upside has also kind of diminished. So I wonder if like we've purposely tried to take it a little easy, but um I don't know. I think I'm, I, I'm kind of a fan of it. Like uh, I know I, I don't want the team to get like, like crushed in non-conference, but also, um, you know, maybe there's an argument there that like playing a tougher non-conference can pay dividends down the road. Um, I, in, in college basketball, it's not like football. We're like, you know, you really want to get to a bowl and don't want to sit yourself out of that as we've talked about at length for years. Um, college basketball, like, you know, you have so many opportunities. I think it's, it's tough to like really argue that you need to like, schedule wins all the time um and i think you know fans will enjoy having like some of these familiar faces here so um yeah i'm I'm supportive of it generally obviously i hope it doesn't bite us but like if it does like if we can't win any of these games we're probably just not that good (laughs) so 
it, it's hard to get like super worked up about. Like uh, I'm fine. Obviously, like the tournament success is is what it is. But like I'd also just like to be pretty good and and prove it. And I know this is very contrary to what we say about football, but it's again the two completely different sports. So um, yeah, I, I'm I'm relatively excited about it. Also, coming off of like a very weird year, it's kind of cool to have like a pretty stocked schedule. Yeah, I think that's part of it too is the marketing, uh, you know, ability for like a team like this who you lose a bunch of key pieces, but you also want people excited about the game. So maybe this does that. Um, I also think too, like the scheduling stuff isn't just a sport difference. I think it's also just the state of Syracuse football versus the state of Syracuse men's basketball too. Uh, you know, like realistically, like we are one of the top 10 programs of all time in men's basketball. So it would make sense that we would challenge ourselves. It would make sense that we would want to be as, as much as possible be on that national stage because realistically we do have a chance to win those games um, versus with Syracuse football, obviously for years and years um, putting ourselves on the national stage before we had the talent to compete. Um, it didn't necessarily go well. So I'm, uh, I'm personally excited about it. It's always good to see some of the old uh, big East. Well, not all of them, but I think uh, if you're going to pick three of them, I, I think UConn, Villanova and Georgetown would be the ones. Um, I think this is the first time we're facing all three in the same season though, since we left. Is that, yeah, we, we faced Villanova the first couple of years out, and I think Georgetown was a couple of years in. We played UConn. We played UConn, like, in these tournaments. We just, like, yeah. wink, wink, nudge, nudge, nudge. Oh, UConn, you, you happen to be here. <laughs> how how yeah, funny. Fancy seeing you. <laughs> yeah. Um, TV I think exactly we should never schedule Seton Hall. No, there's that Seton Hall never... is not invited. <laughs> Seton Hall's not invited. Uh, Providence, for different reasons, you're just not invited. Uh, we'll face you, DePaul, if you want to play. And hopefully it doesn't feel like the one time, but yeah, that, like that every other time, fun. yes. That was horrifying. I was there. I was even a fan yet, so like doesn't doesn't really affect me as much as others, but but it, it is worth noting. It, <laughs> I it guess. <laughs> All right. Uh it's been a couple weeks, so we might have a lot of beer to talk about. Dan, what have you been drinking? Well, I recapped my couple weeks ago last week with James, um, and unfortunately made him feel bad about his his macro beer consumption, which I tried to walk down. James, we still appreciate you. Um, but I did have a lot this weekend. I was in down in Charlotte visiting some family and uh, luckily got a pretty nice sense of the uh, North Carolina beer scene. Not that I haven't had it before, but um, my, my family did well in this category. I uh, had some Juicy J from Legion, had some Hop, Drop, and Roll from Noda, which you can uh, you know assume a uh, nice hoppy IPA. Some Kavu from Noda, which was quite good. Um, had a couple things from Wicked Weed, including uh, the Raspberry Starfruit Burst, which was a fruity sour, which was quite good. Um, Golden Boy Blonde from Triple C, really nice, drinkable, uh, kind of a blonde, uh, super nice summer beer. I think the the actually the the uh, highlight for me was from Catawba Brewing. Um, I think it was actually a Catawba and uh, someone else was also involved in this, um, Palmetto. Uh, their Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test, which was a tangerine wheat. Um, really, really delicious. And also, if this was like something I could get up here in the summer, I would just drink it all the time outside because it was like not a too aggressively like orangey tangerine. Just a really, really nice balance of that flavor plus a nice wheat flavor, but not like not where it's like so um kind of. I, I don't know the best way to describe it. Sometimes wheats can be like really a lot, and this was super, super drinkable. So um that was probably my winner for the weekend. But but a lot of good stuff out of a, a very, very good beer state in North Carolina. Very nice. Yeah, I always enjoy North Carolina beers on this end. Uh, here I had, I went over to Yorkshire Square um, in Torrance for the first time in a while, like a couple years. I uh, had their Cabrillo um, English Pale Ale on cask. It was really good. 
Uh, was down in Long Beach, had from Modern Times, they're a dungeon map, West Coast IPA. Also had from Knee Deep um, up in NorCal, the Galaxy on Fire um, IPA from them. Pizza Port put out uh, Outdoor Escape. It was a really good West Coast IPA. Had uh, from Celador, had uh, Quator, their uh, Wild Ale with Nectarines. Had oh at Cloud Daggers from Modern Times and uh, I think it was Modern Times and Bottle Logic or just Modern Times. Yep, Modern Times and Bottle Logic. Um, this was Imperial Porter uh, aged in bourbon barrels uh, with maple syrup, pecans, coconuts, and vanilla beans. That one was really really good. Um, also had from Modern Times um, Chaos Grid. It was a, uh, a blended uh, version of their Beastmaster, Dragon Mask, Mega Devil's Teeth, Modern, uh, Modem Tones, Monsters Park, Oblivion Ring, and Suggestion of Mass. That's uh, a lot. So, yeah, so pretty aggressive beer. Um, and then with coconut, vanilla beans, coconuts, almonds, and coffee. Uh, so hell of a lot going on here. Uh, came in around 13.5%. Uh, really delicious uh, pastry stout. Definitely one of my favorites on the year so far. Um, also had from Highland Park and Beechwood, uh, Sign of the Horns was a uh, really good West Coast IPA. Also had Highland Park's uh, Double Dry Hopped, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was a hazy IPA that was really good. And that was uh, the last couple of weeks. Very strong. I had some other stuff from Connector too, but nothing too new. So, But it has been a, a more upswing beer uh, month, I'd say, which is nice. Yeah, I think uh, being able to go out and do stuff definitely... Uh, Definitely helps there. You don't get stuck with the same four and six packs all the time. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, weather's good, so being able to be outside and enjoy uh, enjoy some establishments definitely a plus. And we're uh, we're getting there. We're we're working our way. I think everyone is. Uh, we're getting closer to normal ish times. I I think I've made the decision. I think I'm going to go to a Mets game at some point soon. I think I feel good enough about it being outside and uh, you know City Field, great beer selection. So hopefully, hopefully I'll make that happen. Maybe not in the next month, but maybe like maybe sometime in June. Nice. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm probably not going to go to a game until I'm going to, in July, I'm going to go to a White Sox game in Chicago. Nice. Yeah. So that'll be, that'll be fun. I never been to uh whatever the hell it is. Guaranteed rate bank. Uh, I'm just going to call it Kaminsky. It's Kaminsky. U.S. Cellular Fields or whatever the hell it is. The cell. Yeah. So, uh, I'm going to go there. Mike Lindsley. <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna go there for uh for an astros white Sox game um so that'll be fun never been there um i've been to a, i've been to a game at wrigley and the cubs aren't in town so i figured might as well cross off another ballpark and then i'm definitely gonna go to a mets um dodgers game out here in, in uh, august when the mets are in town nice continuing be a, hopefully a big one but uh, yeah it we'll should see. be yeah continuing if the mets bats continue mets bats continue if the relievers don't implode I, uh, if Jacob DeDrom continues to be a supernova, <laughs> blessing us all every time he steps on the mound. It's pretty good. I would love to go to DeGrom start. I haven't been to one in a couple of years. Um, but yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for, you know, last year's events, um, I had been to a Mets game out here every single year uh, since I moved out here. And last year was the, uh, the, the interruption there. None of us should count anything that happened last year, interrupting <laughs> any kind of streak. Like it just doesn't. <laughs> that that's just unfair to anyone. <laughs> None of that shit counts. Um, yeah, reasonable take. Yes, I, I I will I will I will plant my flag on that take. Nothing that happened last year interrupts anything in terms of life streaks if they matter to you. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I endorse that. This, the, 
This counts. This also includes my 30th birthday. I am, I'm still 29. I also, I, I don't blame you there. A <laughs> <laughs> couple more things, Dan, before we uh, leave for the day. Um, women's basketball. What the hell is happening? Um, so coach two gave a, like, uh, you know, building and burning behind him. Everything is fine. Press conference. And then yeah. uh, everything got less fine directly after zero chance. Um, he didn't know everything was less fine when he gave said press conference. Yeah. Uh, maybe he should have pushed that one up a week <laughs> or maybe, uh, he should have just not given it at all. Given what was a claim he had to know was about to happen. Yeah. Real bad. Real, real, real bad. It's yeah, this is like, kind of it, well. It's it's kind of bringing to light like the. I mean, said I I don't discount anything Coach Q has done. I think what he's pulled off with this program has been pretty excellent and really one of the underreported like best program building stories in women's basketball over the last two decades. However, <laughs> um, we're starting to get into that territory now that you and I have kind of been hinting at with the women's basketball team of like is, is are we plateauing? Is it time to maybe like, like maybe Q was the person to build the program and not the one to get it to the promised land necessarily. Um, and I feel like, I mean, we'll see what happens. He's obviously been adding transfers um, this off season. We have a big recruiting class coming in. It's another top rated group. But like if, if, if this program like stumbles in the next couple of years, especially now after losing Cardoso, who like really was like the, the, the silver lining of what's happening next, uh, even with all these departures, like, is it time to think about going in a different direction? Yeah. I mean, I think we've been pretty fair about Q for years now. And I don't think any of us, we have neither of us have called for him to be fired at no. any point. Um, we've addressed like other people who have, um, I mean, he's had, the, he's having the whole tree, the whole team's leaving. Like it's, it's tough to, and including like a lot of, uh, you know, he's obviously bringing a nice recruiting class, but like virtually the whole roster from last year is leaving. Most of whom are transferring. And that includes a lot of players who played a lot last year and would have played a lot next year. Like, it's just, it's tough to defend that. And, and obviously, you know, he's not going to get fired now. Like he has his, he has, he has the right, I think, to rebuild this team, and bring in more transfers it. himself, coach his way out of it. If they go, you know, if, if they have a 20 something win year next year and make the sweet 16, we'll just call, chalk it up to like the roster just didn't work for him. And it was a weird year. I do think in general, not just Syracuse, I think a lot of these transfers this year, um, obviously it's the one, the one year waiver, it, uh, increases a lot of them. I also just think the COVID year makes a lot worse and I don't think it's necessarily a Syracuse problem. I think you have a lot of guys who are a lot of guys and girls across sports who just like did not have a good time last year at the college they were at. And it might not have been the college's fault because every school was in that position, but they're just like, I just need a fresh start. Cause that was tough. And I yeah. don't blame them either. So I think I don't, obviously we don't know what the situation is for each and every person on the women's basketball team who is leaving. Um, so, uh, yeah, he totally gets his, his year to coach here. I think if it goes badly this year, though, I think you have to have a real discussion because then you're like, well, he just lost a very, very talented team that probably underachieved a little bit, but there were genuine circumstances, but still, like, you can make the argument. And then he lost all those players, and then he could not replace them, and then the team tanked. Like, that's just – I think that's really hard to, to dig yourself out of. So I'm not going to bury him now. I'm not going to yeah. say, like, you know, something dire has to happen today. But I do think Coach Chu is probably like maybe not in the hot seat, but he's not like on notice. Like he can't he can't just say like, all right, well, this is a restart season because like it shouldn't have been. <laughs> this, yeah. The team was was here. The team would have had very high expectations if they you know if they had only lost one or two people. Also, um, you had Cardoso, and now, <laughs> and now and you, you had Cardoso. Who and like if you was, lose, like, you, there's no way to replace her. Like none. <laughs> yeah, no, she would have been a, probably a first team All ACC player next year. 
Uh, and now, I mean, we're going to have a bunch of all ACC players probably on other teams next year because most of them are transferring in conference. That's the other, um, that's, that's really which where, is, which, which I'm honing in on. That's the thing. And, it's and, tough. It's if it was one or two, if it was just like Engsler and maybe one other, then you're like, okay, those are just the schools they happen to go to. The fact that it was almost a lot all of, them, of people, um, is tough. And maybe it means nothing. Maybe we're just overreacting. It's tough to look at and not wonder what it means. So, it's definitely yeah, smoke. It's there, there's smoke, and maybe there's no fire. And I hope there's no fire. I would love. To, I hope Q has an awesome year. Same. Like I'm. I am pro Q. I like you as a coach. I like his personality. I think. Well, he's not, fun. well, well let's be real. On the record, I'm not pro Q. I'm and I'm, I'm I'm a fan of Coach oh, Q. <laughs> I am. I'm a fan of Coach Quentin Hillsman of Syracuse <laughs> University. Yes. Good. Good clarification. <laughs> Correct. I was gonna get. I one hope in. he does really well. But like with every other team on the hill, I want the team to do well before I want a certain coach to do well. And that goes, that's across the board, no matter how I feel about them. And that certainly goes for the women's basketball program. So yeah, I hope he turns it around. I hope the new transfers just gel better. And maybe, you know, I think it's hard to think that there's not like something with his personality that just didn't work with a lot of these players. And maybe the new, the new girls come in and they mesh just better. And that's then great. Like then I'm totally fine with that. But it's, I mean, it's, an, it's hard to imagine him really pulling this rabbit out of his hat. Now, again, he deserves the shot at it, but yeah. if this is a bad year, if they miss the tournament, I think you have really long discussions. Um, unless, you know, there's, again, something that we're missing as people who don't know the future. But yeah, it's tough. It's, 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 it does not look good. I agree. <laughs> I don't want to short men's and women's lacrosse because I feel like they're worth uh, probably like half a pot at minimum. So I think... It's worth maybe punting that till next week. Um, I think that's fair. Yeah. We should mention men's lacrosse uh, got the win they really, really needed. <laughs> and Real women's, women's lacrosse did a nice, uh, I mean, they lost the first one in crushing fashion to BC, uh, pulled off a bludgeoning in the second game. Um, so they're in, still in pretty good shape um, to, you know, play at home and, and they, they look good there. Uh, the problem, however, is that uh, Megan Carney is now out uh, for the rest yep. of the season. That's not great. Um, and, and, and not definitely not what we wanted to hear. I think this team is still one of the four best in the country um, on the women's side, men's side, TBD there, but I think they have the potential to play well. Um, the problem is, uh, I know I made the joke um, from the news handle earlier um, of the, what if they made the whole plane out of Virginia um, regarding <laughs> face-offs? Um, the the face-off <laughs> stat that someone shared today is truly mind-boggling <laughs> yeah, yeah su wins 76 plus percent of their uh face-offs against virginia and like 28 percent against everybody else just pretty wild and that's like I'm, I'm not nearly a knowledgeable enough lacrosse fan as i say as i record a podcast about it um to know exactly what it is like it's one of the but i know back a couple years ago when we were not good at face-offs and i mean like five or six years ago um, there are a lot of stats that face-offs are kind of like rebounds in basketball where they're very noisy and they don't ultimately mean all that much. That being said, it is really demoralizing when you're losing and you can't win a face-off and it's hard to like, uh, on paper slash like eye test, it's very, very hard to overlook it. So, um, obviously I'll leave it to, uh, the smarter lacrosse people among us to, uh, to decipher what that ultimately means, but it does seem like a pretty glaring issue. Maybe not quite as much as it did a couple of years ago when like the rest of the team looked great and we just like literally could not win a face off and would lose games that way. But um, I mean, the, the, the proof is kind of in the pudding with the Virginia games, at least we're like, Oh, all of a sudden we're winning face offs. Oh, we're actually beating a really good team 
pretty yeah. handily. So hopefully we figure something out that against non-Virginia teams, or we just play Virginia a bunch in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm fine. Way, just just keep playing Virginia. This is yes. this is good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one last thing, I guess it's not Syracuse related because we're here. Um, I know you watched it today, um, so you haven't yes. had the same like time to marinate on it and all. Um, how do you feel about Falcon Winter Soldier? Um, okay, like not blown away. Um, thought I honestly, I think one of my biggest issues. I thought it kind of got caught between trying to be like the quote unquote sits episode movie and also trying to be a longer series. And I thought the length didn't quite totally work. I in the first episode. I was really excited to see like kind of the family drama aspects with the with the uh, hit with uh, Falcon's uh, sister's business and like some of the stuff with Bucky and that stuff got brought back up like here and there and then they tried to really full circle it in the last episode but it really went by the wayside for most of the series and it felt kind of clunky in that way um, I thought the action was mostly good and and you know obviously they're limited by it being a smaller production but. Um, the action was mostly good. I'm excited to see um, Sam as Captain America going forward. Um, I think the combination of his powers are pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I thought it was like a solid B. Like it's not like you know, I, I didn't think it like was this huge kind of almost transcendent thing that like until the last episode of Wanda that show seemed to be. Um, but I also I thought some people were like very negative about it. I'm like no, it was fun. Like it was a fun show. I, I'm glad I watched it. I, I would totally watch more. Um, I do think if it was like eight episodes, it might have been stronger, and they might have been able to flesh out some of the bigger ideas. And instead, we kind of got like yada yada, and like there were some really like really on the nose parts, and like parts that I like appreciate that they put in there from like a like a you know that connected back to like our current political situation. I was surprised, um, honestly, that they went as far as, they, I mean, I'm happy about it. I'm yes. surprised they went as far as they did in some cases. I, I, I was surprised and happy they went as far as they did. I thought it probably could have been woven into the fabric of the show a little bit more seamlessly if they had more time with it. Um, but ultimately I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm not opposed to, to how that, how, how it ended up. Um, so yeah, I was, I was, I enjoyed it. Um, I don't think it was like, you know, game changing by any means, but uh, they're also still kind of working their way as, as a TV show producer at this point. That's a much different thing than making movies. And they've kind of mastered making a superhero movie. So um, the first two, I mean, the first two, like Iron, the first Iron Man's great, but like, you know, the first Thor is okay. And, and you look back and, you know, they just got so much better at that over years. And that's probably going to be the case of the TV shows as well. So yeah. I would say for Loki, I think Loki's going to be awesome. Um, looks super interesting. I, I do appreciate that they all seem to have their own, kind of like the movies. They all seem to have their own like base of genre and feel and, and uh, will kind of be their own things while also contributing to the larger whole. So yeah, no, ultimately a positive. I, I definitely understand and, and uh, kind of, and with some of the criticisms as well though. Yeah. I, I think you're right there. Like it did take them a while to like, and I still don't know if they always figured it out, but like the, the third act problem, the villain problem, yeah. like things, the things that people talk about, like the third act problem is easier to bury when it's the last 20 minutes of a movie. It's not as easy when it's the last episode and a half of a show. Um, yeah. Potentially. I did think the villain thing was like probably one of the weaker parts of the show. I thought, I thought villain US agent would have been a much, yeah, I think, villain I think U.S. villain, was, our U.S. agent was like the more compelling villain. And then he like got a weird face turn until he didn't like, I'm like sure immediately. he'll be, <laughs> yeah i'm sure he'll be a bad guy going forward at some point um, but, he, but he's like the but stupid I, like anti-hero like like that's the problem now is that and i said this in the article i wrote but we wrote about it on the blog is that all the villains if all the villains are in the gray area then there are no villains yes i i think they could have found a balance where i don't think they ever quite landed the plane on making um the uh what, what was the what was the 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 group called um black smashers 
yes, the Flat Smashers, like, they never quite kind of threaded the needle on, like, the whole, like, oh, you're kind of rooting for them, but also you understand think- they're, like, I think I think COVID f that though. Like, that's very if, possible. If, if if we if we're to believe, and that's what I think both shows. Wanda was supposed to be ten episodes, yeah. and 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 we lost a bunch in in editing and COVID availability and things like that around actors. And I actually think that like, you know, that there's a decent amount of talk that like some of those Easter eggs would have paid off more if we'd had more time in, in the WandaVision world. Meanwhile, here, I think this was another one that probably could have gone an episode or two more. Um, it was it was further along on the production schedule um, when things got halted. But remember, they were in Eastern Europe. They weren't just like hanging around Atlanta for, right. for the, like for so they had a lot of reshoots that needed to happen. You know, in Hungary and Austria, wherever the hell they were, like they, they needed to do a whole bunch there. And 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 th- there's rumor, never been confirmed, but there's a decent amount of internet sleuthing that shows that perhaps a virus was the subplot for the Flag Smashers, and that hits a lot differently. Um, their whole plot hits differently, but also like in light of COVID that does probably does not play as well. Yeah. And and it seems like, yeah, that was a redirect because they do talk about vaccines. There's a decent amount of that. Like it would seem that if they scrapped that, that yeah, then the flag smasher is just kind of wandering around here. There's also just like too many villains like, Oh, Sharon's a villain. Oh, Zemo is a villain, but like Julia not really. Louis Dreyfus. Yeah, Julia Louis Dreyfus is a villain. <laughs> who, who I, like, I fully support being in the MCU and hope she comes back. Same. Oh. No, she's definitely back. I know she's going to be yeah. a Black Widow. Um, but like, yes, yeah, so like they're a villain. Like Flag Smashers are a villain. John Walker's a villain. <laughs> like, there's just this like kind of a Spider-Man yeah, three issue. Of yeah, like, the U.S. government's a villain. Yeah, the U.S. government's a villain. Like technically, <laughs> Bucky's a villain emotionally because he's just very annoying a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like there's just like, like there's just like too many villains, and like, but like none of them are a hundred percent wrong. Like, I would argue none of them are even like seventy five percent wrong. <laughs> like that, like like everything Zemo said was correct, except for like wanting to kill people. <laughs> like Zemo's like great. I mean, Zemo Zemo's even like hard to treat as a villain. He's clearly one, but he's just so he was so well utilized in those couple episodes. They definitely set up the Thunderbolts like pretty well. I think you've already got mm-hmm. like most of what you need there because it's Zemo. You could plug in Bucky there if you need to. Um, you've got John Walker uh, to plug in there. You've got Ghost from Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, you've got Abomination potentially on ice. Um, th- th- there's a decent number of other like anti-heroes sitting around uh, the Marvel Universe at this point. And, and Thunderbolt Ross. So like, y- y- it's, y- you've got everything you need there. And I think that we probably see the, the post-credit in Black Widow. Like Maybe it's Thunderbolt Ross paying a visit to... Zemo like in the future since Black Widow takes place in the past like maybe it's him going to the raft and kind of organizing that team yeah I guess the most important thing about for this show was to kind of land the plane on getting Sam to be Captain America and I think they did that part pretty effectively I think very well I think he he was quite good the last two episodes after he took the shield so that was clearly the most important part because that's like such a huge part of getting you know just kind of propulsing things forward for the whole the whole world so yeah I think they did that well and that was that was objective A so Good on them for that. Um, I think he'll be a nice. I mean, I, I was I was impressed with like kind of the whole combination of his stuff in this last episode. So yeah, I'm excited for that. I'm excited to see what they do going forward. Because ultimately, like uh, they haven't really missed. Like they've they've had lesser hits. They've had a couple like round rule doubles and not all home runs. But like they're still they're still doing their thing at MCU. So definitely can't complain. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think that Sam. I think they started the show slow, and I think Sam. But they set the tone really well 
with that conversation between Rhodey and Sam. And like that, that should have probably told us where the show was headed. Mm. I think a little bit more. Um, I, I, I think in general, they did a great job there. I think it's a great job setting up um, what happens in the future. I, I think there's also like so many, I think there's enough loose threads too, that like there's a lot of different directions they can go. Um, overall, I, I, I definitely liked what happened. I think it was a nice nod to the problems with Captain America as a symbol and America, but also like paying homage to the overall like concept of the character and the lore in the comics, like for those that read them, I thought this was the fourth best Captain America property, but I also think that the Captain America property within the larger MCU, like is also its strongest. So that's not necessarily a slight the way it might be for like Iron Man. I'm like, all right, if you're worse than Iron Man too, like you effed up pretty hard. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think they've done as a non-comic book reader, I think they've, they've done a good job of translating like, what Captain America has become in the comments as far as, you know, I'm aware and like a lot of the bigger, uh, the bigger conversations and more um, like less obvious uh, aspects of the character versus like what you think of if you're like a very, very casual person, not even a fan, but like person who's aware of Captain America and you probably assume like one thing and that's obviously not what he's been as a character for a long time. So I think they've done a, a good job of bringing that out to the more casual or likely more casual um TV slash movie only fans like me. Um, so yes, I appreciate it. I've appreciated that. Um, and yeah, well, we have what a couple weeks until Loki. I think it's June. Yeah, it's June, so June eleventh. Uh, that starts. So we've got we've got some time. I think they 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 cleared space for Black Widow and then decided now nah, we're going to push it. So now we have like a month. It's gonna be weird. It's gonna be weird to not have uh not have uh, Disney Plus fired up on Fridays. But <laughs> I, I, guess, I guess it's okay. We can catch you know all of us can catch up on other stuff. There's plenty of plenty of content out there in the world. <laughs> there's other life, and yeah, I, I think there, there's Marvel a few other TV shows that have aired. Marvel's pretty much owned the content space for the last like four months, and uh, I'm sure everyone there and, and and in the real world could use a breather. <laughs> yes, I'm not. I'm not opposed. Yeah. Although I think at some point in the near future we will have a. A Marvel and a Disney show running, or a Marvel and a Star Wars show running at all times, and all Thanks. our brains will just be completely trucked forever. But we're not there yet. <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, since my children are now home, um, Dan, thanks for joining as always. Yes, thank you for having me. Uh, glad, uh, glad we're we're back on the saddle here, and you know, not hopefully everyone has a, a nice draft weekend. I'll be watching probably the whole thing because I'm a crazy person. So. Same here. Well, uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Try News and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Megaphone, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go orange. Go orange.